As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Calling All Creatures. Again, as most of you know, I am your host, Lori. I've been doing this for a while now, so I hope you know I'm your host. And tonight we have a really cool podcast. We're going to be talking with uh, Steve Boyce. He is the co-founder and vice president of Horse and Around Rescue Ranch and Foundation. And he is going to give us all sorts of great information about the uh, rescue ranch out there that uh, him and Teresa have for the horses. And he's going to tell us all about it and the horses and stuff they take in and some of the uh, programs and different things that they do out there. So I am going to go ahead and have Steve introduce himself and tell us a little bit about himself. And I'm going to start it out by asking, uh, have you always been a horse lover, Steve? Well, I, I'm not a horse lover, but I absolutely respect them, and I think that's the biggest thing, not necessarily love them like a, like a little puppy dog, but to respect them as an animal that is, you know, on this world. And I just, I really, uh, I really, yes, I love them, and I, I've been around them my whole life. And, uh, you know, I grew up on a ranch in Sonoida, and we had horses that raised horses, had cattle mostly, that's what most of it was. And then in the middle of my life, I kind of got away from it. A little, but not much. I had, a, had my own horses and ended up having some draft horses and so on to uh, drive wagons and, and that. And then uh, I guess basically what I think more than anything else is that I, I got to the point when we left the ranch that I was very bothered by the fact that people look at horses like, like, a, like an old pair of shoes. When the old pair of shoes gets worn out, they throw them away. And they used to throw away all these old horses and And when we were leaving the ranch down there in 76, uh, my uncle said that, you know, we had to go take them to the auction, so they'll turn them to the glue factory because they were all crippled. And I said, why can't we just leave them here and put them on the river bus? Well, that didn't work for him, so I took him to town, and I told everyone up, these are horses I grew up on. You know, I was in my 20s, and these are horses that I'd grown up on. Buttons and bows and socks and, anyway, a whole bunch of them. And uh, so I just... That, that always really stuck in my heart and in my my being, if you know what I mean. So, and you know, I'm basically a fourth generation Arizonan. I uh, my grandfather 
took over the Shurikawa Cattle Company in 1908 uh, in the Sulphur Springs Valley. And uh, he, he uh, was the, the uh, manager of the cattle operations for the XIT Ranch in Texas when they just first stole the cattle off of it. And uh, had the block ranch in New Mexico for a while. And <coughs> excuse me. And um, so we've been in cattle all our life. I kind of genetically grew up in it, if you want to call it that. Cool. So um, I'm glad that you were kind of around horses most of your life than on a ranch. So at least you know you know enough about them. That's a co- that's awesome. So well, what I found is the more I learn about them, the more I know I didn't know about them. Uh-huh. That's what's really spooky. I I started a class called equine osteopathy that I learned about from a friend of mine over in in Texas. We uh, in 2017 the rescue decided to. Uh, help the people that were in the, the uh, tornadoes and floods and all the rest of the stuff that happened over there in, in East Texas. And uh, so we got a, I had a 28-foot enclosed trailer, and we filled up, they cleared the roof with everything imaginable. Uh, that, you know, not feed, but mostly stuff that people needed. You know, it's like blankets and towels and wraps and chewing equipment, just all kinds of stuff. People donated. And we took it over there in 2017, and... I, I had uh, uh, gone through and I'd gotten finished. I'd been over there for 10 days and I was sleeping in my truck and whatever. I got hooked up with an outfit out of uh, uh, Blue Bell or Blue Bonnet um, Horse Rescue over there out of, uh, it was what was it, College Station, Texas. And we'd gone actually gone into Rishon and down onto the onto the coast and all that stuff. And we're, we're hitting people that needed some stuff that we still had. And we're dispersing and giving it away to people. So the last part of my stuff I'd gone through and, and had gone up by Houston and dropped off the rest of my stuff to the Humane Society up there in Houston. And I was heading home and I get this phone call. And it was kind of strange. It was a lady that I used to work with when she be, when she became a vet, um, Luann Groves, and, and, and a friend of hers, Deborah. And they were both talking about me because we'd all been like kids' kids together, you know. And uh, so they called and I'm sitting there talking to him. She said, well, come by. I'm outside of San Marcos. And so I looked at the map. San Marcos wasn't too far away. I was tired anyway. And I said, can I sleep in your parking lot? And she said, absolutely. In fact, we can probably put you into a bed. So I uh, I went by there and there was a guy named Yannick Blugan there working on horses. And I started watching what he was doing. And it blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe that he could get that response out of balancing the horse and helping the horses the way they are, the way they should be, not necessarily the way they are, but the way they're they're designed to be, I guess. And uh, so that was my first taste of equine osteopathy. And Luann says, you need to come over. You need to come and learn this. They'll help you with the rescue and help your horses. And, you know, it's not that bad. It's a lot about anatomy. It's a lot about lots of these things. And, and uh, so I started about a year and a half, well, two and a half years down, I started going to the classes and all that. And and it was mind-blowing that every class was like four or five days long and we would work on horses then we would go through and do classroom work and it was incredible and then when it got to be about october november of this last year the economy was getting bad our fee prices were going high uh, the expenses and all that stuff were just outrageous on, on feed prices and i decided that i couldn't i couldn't in, in good faith continue on with this class because I've done like nine I think it was or ten of the classes and there's 14 of them and then the testing two of them that are testing and uh, 
I, I just I got to the point where it's like I couldn't in in my right mind do this, take the money and not have money to take care of the horses. I mean, our feed costs went from like thirteen ninety nine a bag for a bag feed up to sixteen, then it went up to eighteen, then it was up to twenty one. Um, look at what hay prices are now. I mean, Bermuda hay right now down here is about twenty two to twenty four dollars a bale. You know, and that it's just it 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 just went up exorbitantly. So I'm I'm really sad that I didn't continue on, but at the same time I'm very glad that we have the cushion to make sure that we take care of our horses. I mean that has to come first. Right, right. Of course it does. Uh, that's with any rescue, the animal always has to come first. Yep, that's true. So why don't true. Yeah, it is, it's very true. I mean you can ask any rescuer, they'll tell you that. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That's for sure. So can you tell us when and why Horsin' Around got started and uh, uh, tell us where you guys are located? We are in Hereford, Arizona. Uh, we're at the Single Star Ranch, which is basically on Highway 92. We bottom end of the ranch goes to about three-quarters of a mile from the Mexican border. We have illegals coming through here like clockwork. Uh, yeah, we don't we all? illegals coming through here, then we got rain. So uh, <laughs> it's not a venue reason. Um, and we... Uh, uh, the reason we started it actually was kind of I came down here to build a dirt tank I was doing construction work and, and uh, I leased a pasture on the side of the Wichuca Mountains from a guy because I didn't my horses were in Tucson and I was doing this work down here and it was getting real crazy feeding them and taking care of them and, and, and still doing the work you know what I'm saying so right. I leased the pasture and I brought my my, uh, my draft horses that I had at that time Patrick and King and I brought the uh, couple of saddle horses I had so I brought them down put them up the pasture and the guy rented the pasture from said that, well, I, I've got three horses up there, but I don't have, I, I'm not going to take them. I'll come back from Colorado because he was selling the place he owned and, and going to take his cow, his uh, horses back with him, but he couldn't do it then. He was going to come back later and get them. So he told us there were three horses up there, and I put mine up there, and there was water and all that stuff. And and uh, so we found two of the horses without any problem. They were in good shape. And... Uh, but we couldn't find the third one. It's like there's a bunch of big, like, canyons up there. And uh, so one day we were up there, and uh, we found uh, this horse's name was Trooper. And he was covered in cockleburs. I mean, covered in cockleburs. And they had gotten through his hair coat and were, like, digging into his hide all over him. And Teresa and I, had we spent at least an hour, no halter, no nothing, pulling cockleburs out of this horse. It was just, it was... It was so sad and so amazing, and, and that was kind of the start of it. Um, building the dirt tank, I, I uh, Teresa and I got to be good friends, and then we got to into a relationship, and we're sitting there looking at these horses, and we got, there was another horse rescue down here in, in Hereford, not Hereford, but Sierra Vista at the time, and they'd get problem horses, and they knew I messed around with horses and knew a little bit about them, and so they want me to take these problem horses and put them up on this mountain pasture and, and work the bugs out of them, you know, and I said, nah, I don't want to do that. We'll end up, we decided that we were going to start taking care of Trooper, and we, we got to, you know, a horse here, a horse there, and, and, and I think by the time we officially got our 501c3, which was 2000, January of 2010, when we actually got our designation letter, and uh, at that point in time, we actually had 11 horses. Uh, right now, we're at about 60, let's see, 60... We're at like 59 or 70 horses now. Oh, wow. That's pretty awesome that you guys are able to uh, uh, have that many well, horses. How many can you... For this, thanks to God for this ranch and Teresa and, and uh, us being able to 
to keep ourselves liquid and solvents and all that kind of stuff. And, and the donors, the people that put their trust in us with a, a donation here and a donation there that, that kind of give us the stability to turn around and make sure that we can feed these animals and, and take them on and pick them. So, right. um, you know, our whole criteria is that where horses can be horses. And so we get horses, we, we rehab them, we have a ground school that we do with class with volunteers, then we do under saddle, and then we adopt them into forever homes. Right, right. How many horses can you guys actually uh, have there at the ranch? How many horses what? How many horses can you guys actually take in at the ranch there? How many can uh, you sustain? We are we are what we consider at our max right now, but we've had some great rain, and we got lots of green grass. Um, during the, the early spring, we were feeding like 19 or 20 um, of the horses that we had, silk pellets and senior feed, because they didn't have the ability to live off the grass and live off the range in pastures because we don't put our horses in pens unless we have to. Right. Uh, they're out in pastures and we got pastures separated or segregated by you know old horses that are crippled up that can't walk and can't get around to geldings that are over here and mares that are over there and then mares that don't get along with other mares over here and so we kind of break it into like four or five pastures and, and we seem to have been able to rotate all of that through um through with the cattle because we are a cattle ranch also the single star ranch we um have a uh we go through there and we'll put the cattle in there at first they'll eat a lot of the weeds and stuff like that especially now and then we'll put the horses in afterwards and move the cattle somewhere else and you know we're just pretty much finished with our calving um for this year right now and right after the first of september sometime we're going to be branded all those calves and and i think we got 50 some odd calves we got we got to get branded so we are always in the middle of something. Yeah, yeah. It uh, sounds like quite the quite the uh, experience and chore and everything out there with all the all the stuff that you guys are doing between the cattle and the horses. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, and we build stuff. You know, like we had a we started a project that took us about three and a half years to build. We needed a we needed a hay barn that was big enough that we could put store hay, like big bales and you know squeezes of hay and bag feed and all that stuff and. We had it in a little shop that we had, and it was getting to be a pain in the butt trying to, we had, we didn't have any, what's the word, we, we couldn't store a lot of volume of stuff. We could store one ton of this pellet or one ton of that pellet, but that was basically all the room we had. Now we can buy, and that's what saved us in a lot of respects with this, this barn, is that we can buy six tons of feed at a time, and it cuts our cost down, we get good deals on prices. Same thing with hay, we can buy a truckload of hay, or I can take the truck we have and go pick up hay, and, and we can put it away, and then we have it, we, we can get the hay at the best time of the year, uh, bag feed the same way, uh, you know, and it's really uh, it's really been a great thing. I mean, the people at Tractor Supply here in Sierra Vista have been really great about taking care of us and ordering the stuff we need and getting it and getting us at the, at the right price, and, and it's really been, uh, you know, a lady named Raina that works there has, has been very, very great, very supportive what we're doing well that's cool that they've been able to help you out as much as they have and and making sure that your stuff gets there when they should so uh tractor supply i've always heard a lot of good things about them and um they when i was actually in benson at the animal shelter and stuff um they were always willing to let me do you know adoption events and stuff like that there yep absolutely and and the other thing is that we really haven't spoken about it much is that the reason I couldn't do what we do with this rescue if we didn't have volunteers. 
Right. We couldn't do it all. We, we started out and we were doing all of them. And then gradually we got to the point like, this isn't going to work, this is going to kill us. And if we didn't have volunteers, you know, like, like today, for instance, when I had to take Teresa down to get her COVID test to go get her, her uh, uh, medicine from the, from the hospital down at, in Bisbee, um, we had a chiropractor who was, was scheduled to come it's between 7 and 7.30. We had two volunteers that got the horses lined out that we needed to go. They took care of the chiropractor. We had another two volunteers that came to bed, and I, something would have had to have given, if you know what I mean. If, oh, yeah. If, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know how to express enough that we can't do what we do without having volunteers. And we have a bunch of them, probably between probably 30 and 40 a month, you know, figuring out some people come on Monday morning and feed, some come on Sunday, some come on Thursday. And, you know, we've got one family that comes Sunday morning, like clockwork. Um, every Sunday morning, the, you know, Daphne and her two daughters come and they feed, whether it's rain or shine or doesn't matter, they're here. And it, it's, uh, it's been really good for them because it gives them, gives them a place to go take care of horses at the same time, gives them a chance to turn around and experience horses. She said, I, I grew up in the city and I always wanted to grow up in the country and that's what I'm doing with my kids, giving them an opportunity to do the things that you guys are doing here and that's what they're they're so appreciative of um we've had great support from like channel nine news out of tucson we've had some great articles written and put in the herald review paper um that have talked about all kinds of different issues and it, it's a uh, it's an incredible incredible group of people well and you it's, know, like big, it, it's like a big family it really is well, yeah, and, and then that's the thing with any rescue. It, it, if they didn't have the volunteers, they wouldn't be able to do half the stuff that they're able to do and take in the animals that they're able to take in. It's It, ta- yes, it, it definitely takes a community and a village to get things done. So, And, we, um, and we've got the community support everywhere from the Sheriff's Department. They've got a, a system here with Cochise County Sheriff. Mark Daniels has got what they call Ranch Patrol. Yep, I know. Team and Ranch Patrol. Um, I get people that call us about, you know, and horse that's skinny or a horse that they don't know can you go check on this horse can you talk to the people about the horse and the ranch patrol guys have been absolutely incredible <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't know, it's been more than a year ago now we had uh, I got a call from from Jake one of the guys on ranch patrol he was up in the other side almost to the New Mexico border on the freeway with an incident they had with some, a horse and some other stuff and and uh, he called me and said I got two officers that are down not too far from you that don't know what to do about this horse. Can you go down and help them? And I said, well, sure. So I jumped in the pickup and went down there. And it, it this was a horse that had, the guy had big band and little band. And they were both draft horses that uh, were taken off of the kill uh, truck or whatever you call them that goes to Mexico. Mm-hmm. This guy was feeding them. And the problem was that the, the big horses were, were starving. And he was feeding them half a bale of hay a day, which is, you take a 100-pound bale, that's 50 pounds of feed. They should be doing fine. Right. Well, the problem was that he didn't do it, and, and that's where osteopathy really made a difference to me, is it's the balance of the horse, not necessarily just the feet or just the teeth or just the feed or just the movement. It's the balance of the whole thing. And, it, and without having that balance, something else has to compensate for that. And what his problem was, Big Ben, or Little Ben, was he, he had teeth, but they didn't match. So all the hay in the world that he was giving them he couldn't utilize, couldn't process. And if you looked at the horse apples on those guys, which were huge, 
you look at the horse well, there were pieces of, of hay and stuff in there that were probably an inch, inch and a quarter long. He couldn't chew them up. And so what he was doing is he was crying, but he didn't have the teeth to do it. And that's where educating people to start looking at things around them has really made a difference. And this is where this osteopathy really, it, it ties it all back together. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I know Jake. Hi, Jake, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> um, because I used to work for the sheriff's department when I did animal control at one point. So um, you guys actually took some horses from uh, me and my friend Summer uh, when we had a case, a, a cruelty case, uh, years ago. Um, yep, so. Summer Harris. Yes. I remember her. Yep, Summer. She's. I don't think she's listening tonight. You, sometimes she listens, sometimes she don't. So, but, where is uh, she? I don't even know where she is. Last I heard, she went up to Phoenix area somewhere. She is. She's living. She got married. She's living up in Surprise. She's still doing animal control. I love it. Yeah, Good. yeah, yeah. Well, she's talk to her. Talk to her. Tell her hello. Um, I'll probably be talking to her after the podcast. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell her. Um, so real quick, um, when we were, I, I was going to talk about volunteers in a minute, but uh, since we talked about them a little bit, uh, just real quick, let me throw this one in. So, how old does someone have to be to volunteer for you guys? It varies. Um, you know, we've had we've got some kids that are 13, 14 years old. There's one lady that brings. Her two, she feeds on uh, what the Thursday, no Tuesday morning, I guess it is. No, Thursday, Thursday morning, Thursday night, and she brings her two kids. One of them is five or six, the other one is like nine, and she puts them to work, and they pick up feed tubs and they move feed tubs, and, and and she's she's working with. Them. So if you got the family involved, i.e., mom, dad, that kind of thing, uh, we'll we'll work on that, and it's all on the individual basis. Some kids aren't; they don't have focus enough to to stay out of their own way you know what i'm saying we don't want people to get hurt so we just kind of take it on case by case basis normally we have to have people that are old enough to drive um, that kind of stuff it makes it easier but if mom brings a 14 year old kid because they can't drive and mom and the kid or dad and the kid want to turn around and help do something um then then we do that we also do with volunteers are uh, we do people that have community service um in little kind of varied situations. It depends on the situation. Most of the time we do it with juveniles, but not not too many adults, because usually the adults that have community service have done something drastic and we don't want to put anybody else at, at risk around here because of that. And uh, it's a, uh, what's the word to use? It's, it's a balancing act. In other words, we get a sense of the people, we talk to the people, um, they have a, a release form that they have to fill out. We turn around and just kind of see what their sense is around horses. Same thing when we have our training class and stuff like this. Everybody wants to train horses on the ground. Some of them don't have the ability physically, mentally, kind of combinations of the two to do that. And we ask them to do something else or we tell them we can't use their help. But thank you very much. Mm. So it's, it's a real balancing act trying to, trying to fit the people and the horses and all that stuff together to make it all work. Right, right. And I know at one point, because I was talking with the people at the Warrior Healing Center uh, a while back about doing, a, I was going to see about doing my podcast uh, at their facility, but ended up just doing it here at my house. But um, anyway, uh, I know they had been uh, talking about uh, looking into getting with you guys to see about having some of the you know veterans and stuff that like to work with horses maybe coming out and doing some stuff with you guys and I wasn't sure if you guys ever got that worked out with them or not. It, it hasn't because we kind of shut down the, the the outside people coming and do horse training and stuff like that 
during the our breed our camping camping season, which is like from the end of June. It's pretty hot. June, July, August, it's usually pretty hot. This year has been amazing with the amount of rain we've had. It's not really been a, a super hot August like it normally is, you know. Um, probably after the rodeo in Sonoida when we get back from that and get our calves bred, it's probably mid-September we're going to start the, the ground school class again. And it, it's a thing where you basically have to qualify. You have to be able to, you, you may know horses up one side down the other, but if you're going to turn around and work with our horses our way, that's fine. But if you're going to work with our horses your way and it doesn't go along, go along with ours, then we kind of ask people to, to not come or ask people to go, uh, you know, try something else or assist us in some other way. But we, we try to be very um, firm with the horses. We try to train all the horses the same way so that any volunteer can pick a horse up and get the horse to move its shoulder or move its head or move its hips or whatever. Um, the same way with all of them. We don't have 10 different ways to do, to do the same thing. Right, right. So let me ask them, um, do you know about how many horses that you've actually been able to get adopted into new homes? Oh, uh, it's like 108 or 10 or something like that since we've started. Well, that's actually pretty good for, I mean, considering that it's horses and it takes a lot for someone to be able to take care of a horse. That's actually a pretty that, good number. That is very true. And in fact, we've got a whole program that we've developed. It's on our website, which is Horse Around Rescue, H-O-R-S-E-N, aroundrescue.org. Uh, we just got a new website put up about a week ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so we're still working some of the little bugs out of it. Most of them are very simple, stupid little things that we didn't quite pick up on. Um, but we go through and uh, people have to apply. And when they want to uh, adopt a horse from us, there's a whole series of stuff that they have to do. They have to uh, put together an application. They have to fill it out. It's got questions in there like, how much money do you expect you're going to spend on farrier per month or farrier per year or dental per year um, just to see if people actually know what they're getting into because it, horses are not cheap. It, sometimes they cost you a lot of time and a lot of money. Right. And so we go through and kind of edit them that way. Then we've got the requirements and that's put together there. Then we've got a home visit uh, questionnaire that we go through. It's like a multi-page thing of, you know, are they on city water or are they on community well or are they whatever the story is, to try to answer that. What kind of fencing do they have? What kind of shade do they have? And so on. All of, all of that which is on there. Then we have a contract at the end of it, and the contract basically says that this horse is your horse, and one of the caveats we have in there is that if something happens to you or something happens where you can't take care of this horse, we have first right of refusal, period, of the horse coming back or us finding a new home for the horse. And the other thing we have is that if they do adopt a horse, they've got to take 10 hours of time with that horse, with our trainer, uh, the undersaddle trainer, if that's what they are, but with our trainers before they can take the horse home so that everybody leaves on the same page. We don't have somebody that his horse, he, he, he does the horse one way, the horse is trained this way, and they get the horse home and it's nothing but a, a problem for everybody. And so over the years, we've kind of elaborated this and trim tabbed it to make it make it where it's workable for everybody so that everybody gets together. I mean, we've had, we had one horse that, that uh, this guy wanted and so on, and he said, well, I'm not taking your dumb 10-hour class. And I said, well, sorry, sir, I guess you're not taking one of our horses. And he got all upset about it. And I said, sir, it's very simple. This is our horse. It's our way. If you want to do it our way and you learn the stuff that the horse knows, and then after you take the horse, train it some other way, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But you can't come in here and take a horse and expect them to know what you're doing 
when you haven't spent the time to train them your way. So it, it's kind of a hard-nosed way to do it, but that's the way we've had to do it. You know, this other rescue that was down here you know, 10, 12 years ago, they kept giving me horses that were problem horses that they adopted out to people because nobody was on, they weren't on the same page. The horse didn't know what the people wanted. People didn't know what the horse knew. And, and it was just, it was a, wait, a wreck waiting to happen is what it was. Right. And, uh, well, I mean, it's always good for everybody to be on the same page and kind of know those things. So I think it's actually a good plan that you guys have in place for that. It's, it's a 12-year tried-and-true proven plan. It works great. Right, right. It, like a, there are some snags in it once in a while. But, you know, we, 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 we adjust. We have to be able to do it. Right, exactly. I mean, everybody's got to be able to compromise and adjust a, a little bit here and there. So, um, yep. So you just mentioned a couple things I was actually going to ask you about, and you threw a couple things out there. I was actually going to ask you what are some of the things that someone needs to consider before getting a horse, and you said like the dental and the farrier. Um, what are some of the other things that people should consider before well, they get a horse? I think I think the biggest thing for a horse is they, they, they are a companion animal or a herd animal. They need to have another buddy. I, I, they, they don't do well together. They get all fired up because they're a survival-oriented animal. And they pick up what's going on around them so that they, they can survive. And if they aren't, don't have another animal that, that they're compatible with, then, then they get, they're, they're right on pins and needles all the time. Um, I think some of the, the issues that we have is, I mean, having movement and, and a place to, that they can move around, um, having the ability that people have the ability to have, have a vet that they know, that, that we know of, that, that, uh, we approve of some of them we don't agree with um having the ability financially to turn around and afford all these different things having the ability to turn around and understand what nutrients are for animals isn't necessarily the same as what it is for people and animals you have to pay attention to them all the time you know um i've just signed up for a seminar that that we're going to do from the from the osteopathy that basically talks about the gut i.e the horse's gut um, is the center of everything that's working on the horse. So if the gut's not working, then the feet aren't growing, the teeth aren't working, uh, the heart rate's this way, the blood pressure's that way, the conditioning of the horse is it goes this way. I mean, it's all tied back to the gut. Well, what is the gut? The gut is what you feed that animal. In other words, if you go through and feed kids um, ice cream all the time, what happens to them? Well, they'll be all right for a little while, then for quick, all of a sudden, boom, they crash. Right. The sugar over the, over, overdosed their system, and their system had to shut down to turn around and do that. So you have to learn what the balance of the horse is, and, and we try to teach people and educate them as much as we possibly can. And it's always a challenge, uh, especially with those of us that are older, of learning new ways. But, you know, it is the way it is. Yeah, that is true. That is very true. So when you guys uh, get horses in... Well, let's talk about this first. What are some of the reasons that uh, people that have horses uh, no longer want them or can keep them or whatever? What are some of the things that you guys have experienced taking in horses? Why do they come into you? Well, it, it, it varies all across the board. Some of them probably, oh, I would imagine 25% or better are what we call state seizures. They're ones that the state comes in and tries to help these people, tries to educate them tries to talk about them, i.e., I'm talking about the sheriff's department down here. Um, and then they say, well, if you're not going to do this and this and this, and they go back and check on them, um, then they call me up and say, come get them, and they confiscate them. 
that's not normally the case. A lot of times what it is that, you know, husband and wife will have these horses they've had for all their lives, and the husband dies or the wife dies, or the other one can't take care of them. Uh, we had a lady that was up in outside of uh, Williams up in there, up there, and they had this big 10-stall paneled off um, area for this horse. This horse was partially blind, and so it knew its parameters. It could get against the fence and knew how to get around around the pine trees and stuff that were around his thing. Well, the husband died in the fall, and it snowed up there like it does in Williams, and this horse had its little paths cut out. And the lady's daughter lived down here in Hereford, or in Sierra Vista, and worked for the, for the Army, and she called us up and said, look, my mom can't take care of this horse. I can't go up there all the time and take care of it. My brother has gone up there and feeds it. We've got neighbors that have been feeding, but mom can't take care of this horse. And he said, besides that, he says, I can't. I mean, most of the time, when it's a bad snowstorm or something, nobody can get up there anyway. So it's like you get into those situations, and it's like, how do you not help somebody like that? You know what I'm saying? Right. And so so we do that. A lot of times, um, like some people just don't know. We try to educate them. Um, there was a horse that was over in uh, Whetstone that people call us all the time about horses. And uh, they said, there's this horse that's got a, a, a fly sheet or light blanket over the top of it and it looks really skinny but we can't see because there's this blanket on the horse all the time and it's in a pen with three or four other steers and they just throw hay over the fence and this horse is getting skinnier and skinnier and so in that respect what i do is i call jake and say jake can you go look at it or some of the other guys on the, on the ranch patrol and uh you know jake went over there and looked you know got a hold of the people and got in there to look at the at the at the uh, at the horse and pull the fly sheet back and it, it, it was it was friggin' skin and bones. I mean, skin and bones, literally. Um, that was um, Journey was his name. You can look on our website, look up Journey, and look at it now. And it hadn't even been a year. I think it would be a year at the end of September. Yeah. And he's fat and sassy. He just, he, he, but you had to feed him. And they had to feed him where he wasn't competing with the steers to get the feed and feed him enough so that he could turn around and do it. Um, he'd really been trying because some of the pictures I had of him and I don't know if they're on the website or not, but his teeth were, were worn and clear down almost to the gums of him digging in the dirt, trying to get every last morsel of nutrition out of the, the stuff that had fallen out of the tubs and all that stuff. So wow. he was trying as best he could, but he but he couldn't couldn't do it. Um, there's another horse that that was in actually was behind a vet clinic in Sierra Vista, about a block and a half away, and they had this fenced off lot between two houses and. The neighbor that had the horse, I don't remember the story. The neighbor that had the horse, gave it to the neighbor that stayed there, and he moved out. The neighbor that stayed there didn't know what he was doing about it. And this horse was inside this wire-fenced area, and he'd eaten the mesquite trees down to little stubs. Um, all the branches were mowed down to nothing, and this guy didn't know that. I thought horses just did that. I, I, I could not believe it. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I throw him a flake of hay every day. Oh, Okay. How much does a flake of hayway? You know, I mean, you got to get thinking about what you're actually doing. You know, right? Flake of hay ain't nothing for a horse. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Unless it's a little bitty horse. We got minis. We feed half a flake of hay, but that's because they're little bitty horses. You know. Maybe for some of the uh, laymen out there that don't know uh, anything really about horses, uh, how big is a flake of hay? It varies on the type of hay. An alfalfa hay is packed real tight and cut. Real tight is probably four to six inches wide. You get Bermuda hay, you can't even get some of them more than two or three inches wide because 
So yeah. loose and flaky that yeah, it falls you pick apart. Up a piece here and the rest of it falls on the ground. So, yep. you know, you, 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 gotta, you basically got to get down to how much weight are you giving them? Are you giving them 10 pounds or 12 pounds twice a day? Or are you giving them 5 pounds twice a day? Whatever it is, plus a supplemental pellet or a bag feed of some sort. Right. Just wanted everybody out there that doesn't know too much about horses to kind of know about how big of a flake, a flake of hay is. It's not very big at all. <laughs> so, no, yeah, that's not. definitely not enough to feed a regular size horse just one flake like a day. A, it's like a great big serving platter at Christmas time. You know, it's about two feet wide, two feet tall, and it does not have a turkey in the middle of it. You know? Right, exactly. So when you guys get horses in, what are typically some of the ailments that you might see them come in with? Ailments. I mean, injuries or injuries, or like if they're sick. What are what are typically some of the well, things we that got a, we got a horse in that uh, he got bit by a rattlesnake last Thursday. We got him in oh, about two months ago, and what he had is he had what they call ring bone. And ring bone is a bone that's down next to the hoof wall of the uh, right above the cornet band, where those bones sit in their foot. And what happened is he got an injured. Well, what we found out was that the guy that was breaking him when he was riding him when he was two and three, he's five now, almost, he'll be six, I think the middle of, middle of the, well, at the end of the year, he'll be six, I think. Anyway, and what they did basically is they, they had so much weight on his back back feet because the person that was training him was over 200 and some pounds, plus the saddle, plus all this other stuff. And what the horse did was he basically broke down those side bones and they can't, they, they, they hurt and when they start hurting they swell up and, and uh, basically it, it, the only way that you could do to heal it is to let them be i.e. put them out in pasture let them get along on their own and let those bones fuse um, and it takes some of the movement of the joint away but at least they can walk after six months or a year depending on how fast they fuse up and heal up um, we've had other horses that have come in with wire cuts that were horrendous uh, we've had other horses that were uh, basically one horse that, that had a uh, wire cut across the foot, got a step through a fence, and cut his foot up real bad. And uh, you know that, and that's the other thing I haven't really mentioned that you know we do a lot with the horses. But if we didn't have somebody like a, our vet that we use, Dr. Gary Thrasher down in Hereford, um, he is a or actually um, he is a very very seasoned vet with lots and lots of common sense and uh, what like for instance the wire cut on that foot what we did is, is the people couldn't afford the vet to go through and do all the stuff and wanted us to take it because of the cut the injury and all that and so I called Gary up and talked to him and said well Steve you know about bell cast just put a bell cast on so basically a bell cast is that bottom part of the foot where the wire cuts are on either side or the front or the back wherever it is you go through and you, you, you treat it put stuff on it and then you wrap it with, with the vet wrap, and then you basically put a hard plaster cast on it so that the plaster cast sits with pressure on the foot, i.e. not pressure from being wrapped tight, but pressure from the weight of it. Mm-hmm. And it lets the foot heal from the inside out, and it keeps it from growing proud flesh in it. Most vets this day and age, they want to wrap it, they want to wrap it every day, da-da-da-da-da. It's a lot of work. We don't have time to do all that work, and this works incredibly well. And it's people like that, you know, some of the some of the old time vet stuff that really does work that we still incorporate every chance we get. Right. How often do you uh, get horses in with the uh, overgrown hoofs because they never trimmed them? 
that's another project. Um, well, we have the horses we got from, actually horses and mules, we got from uh, Old by Alfreda. And they were basically look like elf sleds. You know, they, they had their basic foot and they curled up and, and the, the one, the front feet on this one horse was curled up almost to his cannonball, which is the bone in the front of his, front part of his leg before you get down to the foot part itself. And, uh, and the only thing you can do with that is you have to basically quit it off, cut it off with a sawzall or a handsaw or something, just cut it off a little at a time till you get to where the blood supply is and then let it go. It, process probably takes, it depends, but it takes a long time. And you gotta let them get used to it. You gotta trim off the, trim off the toes so they can actually bend their foot over like those folks instead of walking along on their, on their heels. Um, you know, the thing of having a good barrier knowing what is going on with the foot um, is, is critical because you're, it's like you, if you get a sticker in your foot, you're not going to want to walk around. If your foot hurts, you don't want to walk on it. Same thing with a horse. So it, it takes a while with, with horses that got really, really bad feet. And, you know, we got a barrier that comes every two to three weeks, um, all year round, rain or shine. Um, you know, Ray Morris is his name. He's from up there in the, uh, lives up there in the Empire Mountains outside of Tucson. And uh, he's been doing it for, oh, I don't know how many years. He's a good friend of mine. He comes down here and he really helps us out. We go through and talk about horses and injuries. And how can we do this? And how can we do that? And, and uh, it, it, it takes a team of people to, to make it all work. Well, I'm glad you just mentioned the team of people because that's what I was going to actually ask you next is, who are some of those team members that uh, have to come and help you take care of the horses? You've mentioned the farrier and the vet um, and stuff like that. So well, you guys have quite a team on your website. The farrier, he, he does a lot um, for us. The vet is Gary Thrasher. Our equine dentist is Phil Radliff out of uh, Green Valley. Um, he has a very kind hand with horses. I mean, a lot of equine vets or equine practitioners or whatever you want to call it that do dental work, um, they turn around and get a horse, so they have to drug them so they can get their hand in their mouth and all that stuff. Phil doesn't even put a halter on most of them. He'll walk out in a pen, and it just takes quiet time and, and contact with the horse and working with the horse. And I've seen him take and be looking the other way and have his hand up inside the mouth of a horse. They were scared to death if you look at it. You know, so it's, it's amazing. And we've got a lot of really good volunteers. Um, you know, we got a lady named... Uh, Jessica Wood is just the one does the website and she's been she and her family come out and you know she brings Wyatt out she brings anyway she brings them all out at different points of time to feed or clean up pens or whatever but you know we really don't have that many pens and scoop and poop is not much we do unless we get like when we get into training classes where we're using the arena and using that kind of stuff more then we'll have to be doing that more but like this time of year there's no way you could even scoop up poop because it's all underwater <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, or mud, you know, whichever. Well, yeah, exactly. Monsoon season, you know. What do you do? That, get out of the way. Yep. Mother Nature, Mother Nature take care of it. Right, and exactly. We've started a team of people that are doing the medical stuff. I'm, I'm training them, and we're working on, you know, we use frequency-specific low-level lasers. We use uh, VOM, which is veterinary and orthopedic manipulation, which I've taught them how to do that. We use a percussor to turn around and help break up you know, injured tissue and stuff like that that turns into knots. Um, they uh, uh, fix injuries. There's, we had a horse that was 30, what is he, 36, and his name is Major, and he uh, somehow he got 
over sideways, laid over on his side in a feed trough. Oh, no. Don't know how he did it. Don't know how anything out of it. And, and when I found it, when we found it, I was told that I came out there and I had the backhoe and I was like, how are we going to pick him up out of there? I said, it's real simple. And Teresa looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, we're going to tip this trough over and he's going to slide right out of the trough. Well, you can't do that. Well, that's what we're going to do because how are we going to get a hold of him? You know, he was laying in the trough. His neck was over the end of the trough. His head was down low. The shoulder was stuck on one point of the trough, and his leg was on the other edge of the trough. So there was there was no way we were going to figure out a way to pick him up. So and uh, anyway, so he had some major injuries that I turned around and worked these people through it. And he was, I mean, one one hole in his shoulder was probably six inches in diameter, something like that. Totally open tissue just mangled inside there and basically they got to go through the whole process of him healed up and he's almost completely healed now it's been probably four or five months and they kept saying well you can't do this you can't do that here's what you got to do you got to hydro it or wash it out clean the garbage out let it all expand out you put baby diaper rash or something like that below it so that the, the, the stuff that's raining out doesn't tear all the hair up and everything else because it's really most of the time it's very acidic and uh and then you turn around and, and we use silver iodized, we use some all, anyway, we've got lots of different things that we use to turn around and help get rid of the infection and all that kind of stuff. Once all that stuff is gone, then it's just a matter of time from healing from the inside out. Because a lot of times if you cover the thing up, you keep all the toxins the body's trying to get spelled in there with the area that you're trying to heal and it, it causes lots of problems. You know, when you wrap wounds up and all that kind of stuff, um, we had a horse that Three horses went running through a gate that was only wide enough for two, and one of them hit the gate post with their chest and laid her chest and one of the like pec muscles on the front there. It just laid that thing completely wide open. That hole was probably I don't know eight ten inches across, and had that muscle completely took and taken out. And what I've learned from Gary Thrasher and all that stuff is you you can't you can't take and sew it back up. Yeah, you can. The problem is you sew a lot of stuff up inside that can't get out even if you put drain tubes and all the rest of the stuff the best do these days it's not as good as leaving that thing open and letting it heal up that horse um has totally healed up we had another one that somehow got over a t-post that went up between the, the actual collarbone its area and that that muscle right there that went up in there why i didn't just about that horse and kill him is beyond me and he's going he completely healed up um We've got another horse that we got a call Fourth of July beauty is her name, and got a call Fourth of July and says our neighbor's trying to fix this horse and the leg is all black and we can't figure out what to do and we can't afford a bed. Can you help us? So I went over and looked at it and just like take your breath away. And what they're doing is they're displaying a stuff called blue coat onto this wound, and when blue coat hits blood, it turns black. Mm. And they, they just know that's what it was or what was going on, and so. What we did is I said, we got to wash it off. So we got a hose and hose it all off. And it kept flaking stuff off and flaking stuff off and got a hose off. And uh, the guy looked at it and I said, what happened? What he had done somehow, we don't know how, but they had taken the skin that was on the shoulder and it was probably 14 inches around, kind of raggedy on the edges. And it somehow had ripped the hide completely off. And the only thing left was the muscle tissue underneath and the shoulder and the little bitty muscles that wiggle the horse's hair. The little dimples, little bumps sticking up. Huh. How that happened, I have no idea. Wow. But she took, it took us probably a year to get her healed up 
and we did it on the same idea of basically keeping everything open, helping it drain, all of that kind of stuff. And she's healed up, and believe it or not, she haired up most of it. Um, there's still some real deep scars and stuff that are on there, but the hair has come back on most of it. It's amazing to me how a horse can heal like that. It really is. Right, right. I mean, well, yeah, I mean... So I've, I've seen, I'm, well, you know, with me doing animal control, I work more with dogs and stuff like that and cats and not so much with the horses. But, uh, I mean, some of the stuff that I've seen for wounds that dogs and cats and stuff have had and then to see them after they've healed up, it's just amazing how how animals, well, people, I guess, too, are so resilient that they heal up like that. So, Yeah. Well, and, and our bodies are made to heal themselves. But we just, as we get older, we don't retain that ability very well. And... Um, same thing with horses. It takes a lot longer for someone like a 36-year-old horse to heal than it does a 12-year-old horse, you know? Right, right. Wasn't Major um, the one that was on... Wasn't he... I thought I saw him on your website. Probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought I saw him on your website and it was uh, talking about having to get him, uh, help him get back up. Yeah, well, that's another thing we do. One of the things we did early on when we first got, got going on the rescue... We had a horse die, and I, we couldn't find a backhoe down here in service, so we had to get somebody out of Tucson to come here down here to do it, or a friend of mine from Construction Day. And, you know, so we decided at that point in time, we need to fundraise for a backhoe. Right. And so we did. It took us about two, two and a half years, uh, almost three, actually. And I kept going to the auctions up in Phoenix and watching what was going through. And I, I ran into a guy that I'd worked with a long time ago, Morgan North from uh, Borderland Construction. And... Uh, I told Morgan what I was looking for and if he had any ideas and so on. And I'd seen him probably at four or five different auctions up there. So I was sitting with him and, and uh, talking to him about it. And there were four backhoes that were in that auction. And I looked at it and he said, well, you got, I've got your money all put together. And I said, well, we'll see what the prices are. And uh, we'll see whether I got enough money or not. And so the first one went for like 56000 or something like that. And then the next one went for forty nine seven or I don't remember all the numbers. And the third one went for like 45 something. And, uh, you know, Morgan had bid on it a little bit and I kind of started with him, but then, you know, when it got to more than what we had, I quit. And uh, the last one came up there and they asked Morgan if he wanted it, because Morgan buys himself a lot of equipment. And uh, they asked Morgan if he wanted it for 45 and Morgan says, no, nah, we'll just let it go. And uh, so he turned around and looked at me and said, is that back any good? I said, well, it's used, it's got a lot of miles on it. I said, but it's something we can do. We don't need a new backhoe. We just need something that we can dig a hole and cover the horse up, put him in there like he'd be. So it started out at 20, 25, and it got up to 30. And I said, Morgan, we don't have that kind of money. And he said, just hang tight. So went through, got the thing. Well, Morgan ended up buying it for like 35, I think it was. And uh, he turned around to me and said, say what I'm going to do. I said, what's that? Because I didn't know. Uh, Morgan says, he said, I'm going to buy it. And he said, I'm going to bring it down to our yard in Tucson. We'll go through it and make sure it's all good as best as we can. And then we'll bring it down to the rescue. And uh, then you have a backhoe. And he said, then when you get up into town, bring me all the money you fundraise, and you can give that money back to Borderland, and we'll pay for the rest of it. Oh, nice. Holy cow. That was awesome. That was amazing to me. And, you know, it's like Morgan told me. He says, you know, what you do for horses, there's nobody else around that does that. And that's what little bit I can do because Morgan still rides well. He did at that point in time. I don't know if he is now. Probably, um, he loves to ride horses, and uh, he uh, he says that's what little I can do to help you out. And he, and Morgan Morgan does so many things for us. 
like we were building when we were building this barn, we needed a, a reach forklift to reach over the top of some stuff from an old A bar. And Morda uh, says, "I got a ten thousand pound you can use if you want." So I said, "All right, well I appreciate it." So he loaded it up, and brought it down here. I said, well, "What's it going to cost us?" Oh, "Nothing, just take care of it." And he knows me from when we did construction work. And then I take care of equipment because you can't not take care of it because it'll break and then you're really out of trouble. And uh, so he left it down here from January to about no middle of the summer, I think it was that year. And we put almost the whole barn up with it. It was amazing. That's pretty awesome. It's good to have. And and it's the people that from the community that just they come up with stuff like this. You know, we have people that oh I don't know. Well, they moved the hospital out of Sierra Vista out of the town of service and they built a new hospital outside on, on Highway 90. Right. And, uh, or 80, I guess it is. And when they were moving the stuff out, they had all kinds of these shelves and they didn't have anywhere to go with it and they didn't know what they were going to do with them. And I had a lady call us up and said, can you use shelves that are such and such by such and such? I said, oh, you bet. And she said, well, get a trailer and get down here because we got to get them out of here in the next two days. So we went down there and I think we got 15 or... 18, they were shelves that they had x-rays on. Uh-huh. They were in storage. And so they were like six foot tall, seven foot tall, not probably eight foot tall, um, or seven foot tall. Probably. And big, heavy duty, they take the weight and all that stuff. It was great. We, we use them all the time. I mean, everywhere. So just little stuff like that, you know, it's really, really, really neat. Right. And it's always nice to have friends that have that kind of equipment sometimes. <laughs> You bet. Especially the you ones bet. that are willing to help out. <laughs> well, and it's like the thing you mentioned, the thing about picking horses up. Um, we had a lady that, that sewed us with a bunch of old ratchet straps, and she sewed us a harness that we can put around the bottom of the horse with a belly all the way up to the sides of it. And then we can take, put two chains in and take back a bucket and I can pick it up and set them on their feet. Right, right. Blows people's minds. I mean, I did it with a draft <laughs> horse, and the guy looked at me and goes, how did you do that? I said, what do you mean, how? You watched us do it. It's not It's not difficult. Right. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's just interesting, you know, never never a dull moment. Right. <laughs> it's called Siempre Algo, if you know what that means. Um, not right off the top of my head. My Spanish is kind of rusty. I know a little bit, but... <laughs> always, always something. Always something. Yeah, well, it is. It's always something, that's for sure. Yes, it is. So, um, you get like we've talked before that you guys do take in um, like the equine cruelty cases and stuff. Um, what are what's some of the, the the main things that you guys see when it comes to the equine cruelty? Is it just like the uh, neglect of the food and stuff like that, or do you guys see that, that's most of it? Um, neglect of their feet, neglect of their teeth. I mean, we have one horse that um, it was basically starving to death because its front teeth. Are- incisors were too long and so basically it held its mouth open and they had good teeth but the teeth in the back couldn't touch each other so they couldn't grind the food right they have just little things that people don't don't look at the, the balance of the horse that we're trying to put together you know what i'm saying right and educate people you know try to get people to think about it a lot of it's common sense and uh it's just it's just really amazing we've been very very blessed to have the support we have from the community and for, from just from everybody. It's great. Right. I know we see, well, the Sheriff's Department and stuff, I think, sees a lot, and, and you guys have probably taken a, a few of them in, is, is uh, not, the horse is not being fed like that one you were talking about that was just skin and bones under the blanket. 
Um, a lot of uh, that, that's the biggest way I think that uh, people abuse uh, the horses around here. They don't feed them and just let them basically starve to death. Well, um, we had one that was uh, this guy had a pen and the horse was locked up in the pen, and the horse had a rope around its neck tied tied through a halter, was tied to a post that's like I don't know five feet away, six feet away, something like that. And it's like, why did the all of these kids were climbing over the fence and coming in here to play with the horses. So I had to lock the pen so they couldn't get over the fence. Well, kids could climb under the fence. It, it just, it just the, the thing that people do sometimes does not make any sense at all. But yeah, you know, I, they, they do what they do. You know what I'm saying? Yep, exactly. I totally agree with you. So I saw on your website, too, that you guys had had a summer campaign going on and that, that it just ended. So what was that all about? What were you guys doing with that? Well, we had a donor that uh, she wants to be anonymous and still is, as far as everybody else knows. Um, she said, I'll tell you what I'll do. And I said, what's that? She said, I will match every donation you get up to $10,000. And so I said, well, so you're going to give us $10,000. She said, no, I will match. If you don't get $10,000 gathered up, then you don't get my $10,000. So basically, <coughs> the $10,000 turned into $20,000. Mm-hmm. Well, that really got people going and really made a difference. People were sending in money and, you know, they could take their $100 donation and really make it help us for $200 worth of help. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so we we exceeded our the 10000 that we had to generate to get the 10 from the anonymous person and and then so. And it was, it was great because it really made... A lot of difference to people being able to help and making my dollar. My dollar makes a lot of difference, but the farther it goes, and I, I just was, uh, I was blown away. I never, never knew that that would affect people that way. But yeah. it, it just ended. I don't know the total numbers. I'm not. That's not my department. But if they well exceeded the uh, the, the ten thousand dollars that we got for the donation. Well, that's pretty cool. That'll help you guys out a lot there. Oh, absolutely, and it makes my life a lot easier. Not worried about where we're going to have feed. I mean, you know, you go buy, you know, 10 tons of feed or 6 tons of feed, take a big chunk out of your bank account real quick. Well, especially with the way that inflation has been here recently. I mean, everything's gone up in price. And I know hay, and we you said that earlier too, hay's gone up quite a bit. So, you bet, it has. Yeah. I have, you know, the thing is, what, what we do, we just get out and hustle. I talk to people in the Sulphur Springs Valley that grow hay, over around the Dallas and Rio Rico that grow hay up around Phoenix, up in Casa Grande, and I keep in contact with these guys, talking to them all the time, trying to figure out what the market's doing, as well as, you know, where is a good deal for us to get hay. I've got the last hay, we've, we've kind of changed our hay that we use to get away from the little bales, because they're so expensive, and go to the 1,000 or 1,100 pound um, big bales. And, you know, that backhoe, again, turns around and helps us out, because I can pick them up and move them around with that thing. Right, right, exactly. So, it's uh, it's uh, that's what we've done now, and, and you know the the price. The last ones I got were one hundred and sixty five dollars for a big bale. Well, one hundred and sixty five dollars, and if if it's a hundred, if it's a thousand pounds, and the bales are each one hundred pound bale, that's only sixteen dollars fifty cents a bale instead of twenty two twenty four a bale. Right. So it it, it all adds up, and it just it makes it easier to me because we don't have to to. Uh, you know, run little bales, unload them, and put them away, and all the rest of the stuff. We can take a big bale, pick it up, and boom, I can unload my whole truck in 10 minutes. Nice. Very nice. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
So why don't we talk about some of the programs that you guys have out there at the ranch that uh, people can come out and help to work with the horses and stuff like that. Because you guys have several programs going on where people can come out to the ranch and help in uh, many different things. Not just with the horses, but like that project you were talking about where you are building the barn and stuff like that. Right. Well, that's a kind of a, a really specific project. You can have somebody that knows what they're doing with a, a 25-foot-tall I-beam and stuff like that. Right. But we have we have all kinds of projects. We've got fencing projects where we're attaching holes and fences where they're illegal to cut the fences. Um, we've got, you know, gates that we're building. We've got a water project coming up here that we're going to be working on pretty soon. Uh, right now it's too wet to be doing anything out of the patches because it's, it's just, you know, the grass is growing and the rains are coming and you get equipment out there and all you do is tear everything all up, you know. Um, we got lots of different uh, events coming up. We got uh, the Snoyder Rodeo, Labor Day weekend. Uh, we'll have a booth over there. Um, we've got a uh, open house on the 22nd of October here at the rescue. We've got, uh, we go to the, uh, the Cochise County, no, the Santa Cruz County Fair in September. I don't remember the date for that one. Um, we've got the Empire Ranch Foundation has the Cowboy Festival, which is the first weekend in November. Um, that's a big event for us. We turn around and we take horses out there and showcase some of the horses we've got in training and take our mini horses out there where people can pet them and play with them. And uh, uh, we turn around and, and uh, just basically get out and talk to the community. We have raffles going on. We have uh, at these events, we sell raffle tickets for five bucks. Uh, we have a, uh, a Henry um, repeating arms rifle. It is, you know, octagon barrel, 45, no, I think it's a 44 special, the 44 Magnum, 44 special um, lever action um, rifle. It's a beautiful rifle. We've got a 1911 um, uh, Colt. No, it's not a Colt. This one is a Spring, Springfield Armory, um, 45 ACP or 45 um and it's like the old ones they used during World War II, except the Springfield Armory's version of it, and it's it's just new, updated, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then we've got a quarter of beef. We sell beef at the rescue, or not the rescue, but the, the ranch sells quarters of beef. We raise the beef here. We turn around and, and put the stuff um, up to the uh, slaughterhouse up there in, Whip, in uh, Wilcox. Right. And they cut it and wrap it, freeze it. And we sell it by the quarters. We took six of them up there about two, two and a half weeks ago. I know. I actually saw that on your website, and I'm going to talk to my kids and see if they want to go in on something. Because I, I love hey, our, our next ones are going to be between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm. I don't know the dates yet, but anyway, that's when we take the next beef up there. Okay. Well, that's actually kind of good because that gives us a little time because, well, yeah. The thing, about, the thing about the beef, it's all grass-fed beef. Right. So it's raised on the ranch. We know where they've been. We know their mamas. We know their daddies. And they're they're not out getting themselves in trouble, and they're not out being fed hormones and growth stimulants right. and all the rest of that stuff. Okay. Right. I know. I saw that. I'm like, oh, I need to talk to my kids and see if they want to go in on that with me because that would be that would be some good meat. So it is good meat, and there's no question about it. I'm kind of partial to it because that's what I grew up with. Was stuff at the ranch. You know, we didn't feedlot stuff. To me, is just way too fatty and you know you don't know how much stuff is really real beef and the real cow versus all the stuff they used to stimulate them you know right last night when i was a kid we actually and it's funny because we didn't raise like we didn't have a ranch or anything like that or cattle or anything but we had uh we my dad actually ended up getting a couple of uh hogs 
And so we raised them up and then took them in and had them butchered and, and had the meat off of those. And it is, it is different than what, you know, when you have it yourself and you know what you're feeding it and all that kind of stuff compared you to... Bet. Yeah, it, it's completely different. We had chickens, we had eggs, stuff like that too. So, um, yeah, it's completely different and it's it's uh, so much better, I think, the taste and everything. You bet. So... You bet. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm going to be talking to my kids to see if they want to be interested in going in on a <laughs> quarter. Great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, you know what benefits us too? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> so um, they'll probably get more of it than I will because, I, like I said, I'm. I'm just kind of by myself and I don't. So it's not going to. You know, I'll put. I'll have some in my yeah, freezer. If you but pick, if you pick it up and you go to your freezer first, you can right. put in your freezer what you want and let them have the rest. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean? What happened to those steaks? Um, <laughs> I think they went into the pig department for dinner. <laughs> yep, exactly. You guys come over and eat often enough, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you come over and eat lots. You probably come over and eat more now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, uh, that's kind of we're kind of at the end of the program here, and um, um, I've enjoyed talking with you. Is there anything that uh, we may have missed that uh, you want to well, include? Thing- the only thing I, I would, would say that I really haven't talked much about is that if people people are out in the community or our eyes and ears on horses, they know their neighborhoods, they know the horses, they know stuff around. And if they see a problem with a horse and, and they see a problem that's going on and, you know, you can't go on somebody else's property to feed them or to water them or anything like that, but you can call the sheriff's department and talk to the ranch patrol guys. You can call us uh, at the horse rescue and we'll call, we'll dig around. We don't we don't like just calling the sheriff's department without looking into it ourselves. Oh, this horse is skinny. Well, it just so happens it happens to be an Arab, and they're always skinny. Yeah. You know, but they, people don't know the difference sometimes. Right. So it, it's I think that's the biggest thing is you know the people are that's how people can help us. I it's not that we want more horses. Don't get me wrong. It's we want more horses taken care of. That's what we want. Right, exactly, and I know, you know, before when I worked for the Sheriff's Department, they didn't have Ranch Patrol then, and uh, so we were always stuck, you know, trying to get a hold of livestock, and unfortunately... That's, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Oh, <laughs> I can say it because I'm not politically correct in many endeavors, so... <laughs> I was actually just going to go down that road, maybe not quite so quite so um, blunt well, about it, but it is a joke. The problem is it's not necessarily livestock. It's the way livestock is set up right now. They yeah. don't have any agents. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're shorthanded. Arizona, well, how many people have cows and ranches and horses and all that rest of stuff, and they got a guy that calls about a horse that's not getting fed. It's way down the pecking order on their priority list. Yeah. And it is. You know, and there's, there's nothing we can do about it other than them funding more of them, get more of them trained. And most people don't want to be a livestock officer because it's, it's a it's a pretty hard hard type of job, you know. You you got to get out and you go a lot of different places and all of that. So right, it's just a a I don't know what the word to use is. It's just it it seemed a lot easier when we were talking to to uh, Mark Daniels after after uh, um, all of this stuff started happening. And Mark said, "Well, why don't we do some get some ranch kids and do that?" And so we we started doing it. We've got uh, you know another thing I'm doing. I'm involved with is the what they call a ranch advisory committee that advises the, the sheriff on a lot of different situations. And they they call us and say, hey, what do you think about this? How can we do that? You know, it's like right now, 
in, in Cochise County, we've got what they call driveways. And driveways are people that come down, they're found on, on social media networks up in Phoenix. They come down here to pick up illegal aliens and yep. drive them back to Phoenix. Yeah, it's, and yeah. Mark Daniels has been fighting that. Um, I talked to him the other day. He said last month they had over 600 people that were booked into the into the uh, busy jail. I it's know crazy. it's been crazy here, and people don't and understand how bad it is. Percent of those were actually illegal aliens. Yep. The rest of them were American citizens. Yep. So what the heck? Yeah, they're getting offered big money there on the social media platforms and stuff like that to come down here and do that. And the sad part is, is a lot of the a lot of them that are coming down here to pick up the illegals, they're like younger people. They're like you know older teenagers or in their young twenties and stuff. I haven't seen a whole because you know the sheriff's department posts about a lot of the uh, arrests and stuff that they do for that. Listen to the radio, listen to the radio show tomorrow morning, and you'll you'll get all the statistics. Believe me, Mark does it every Friday. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the thing, the other thing is, is that he said they caught a 13-year-old girl down here, come down here to pick up the loot. 13 years old. Good grief. Not even old enough to drive. No. Took her mom's car and down she came. Yep. That's what I'm saying. And it's sad. Through, and these... Drove through, through Phoenix and Tucson and didn't get herself killed or anybody else. Oh, my gosh. Well... So they, caught a, they caught a guy that... He flies in. He flew in from somewhere else. He rented a car. Flew in from California. I read about that. Came from California. Yeah. They've had a couple of them now. Yes. Yep. And they make big. They make big money. Yep. You know, and I kind of laugh every so often when I see them. You know that they're getting busted and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, well, guess what? You didn't get the money, did you? And now you're doing what there time? Was, there was a highway patrol went up by Stump Canyon. Oh, it wasn't Stump Canyon. It was. Uh, Ashton that stopped the car and um, he started to reach in the car and they took off. He oh. caught his arm in the car, they drug him on the ground. I was told he broke both his feet and he stuck him, the car went through the guardrail and everybody descended on the man like craziness and uh, it was it was a big deal. They had the Highway 92 closed down for probably an hour or something like that. Mm -hmm. it just, it's just what are these people thinking? What are you thinking driving off with a high pro arm through your window? Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's what I'm they saying. Respect, they don't respect themselves and others around them. Well, and look at the dust they've caused. I mean, there's been several... Um, people that have been killed by these people from the high rates of speed, you know, even after the officers back off the chase so that they, you know, don't uh, try to do that, they still keep going and then they're killing people. And in fact, it, I'm going to say this, I'm sorry, it kind of hit home for me because my son-in-law's mother was actually hit by one of those people. She was riding her bike, her bicycle, and she got hit by one of them. Luckily, she was okay and everything. I mean, it threw her a little ways, but I think she just ended up with some bruises and stuff, nothing broken or anything like that, thank God. But, you know, that that is the things that are happening here, and people don't there was, understand there was it. A lady, there was a lady from Benson that was T-boned by a car that was running from them from over Tombstone. Yeah. Hit him right square in the driver's door. Yeah, she was, lady yeah, she was yeah, the one that was killed. Yeah. Not at all. She's dead. Yeah, she was on her way. That, that's the one I think that was on her way to her birthday dinner with her son, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that. I think you're right. Yeah, my daughter actually knew her son, uh, knows her son. She worked with him. Yep. So, yeah, it's sad. I mean, that's what I'm saying. People do not understand 
what is going on down here and what the problem is down here. I mean, you know, yes, it's and and I I am wholeheartedly behind Sheriff Daniels about uh, his stance and his position. Oh, and the whole the whole task force. They got a whole task force. Oh, I know. DPS guys, all of them, plus the local police departments that they all communicate together with that network that they've developed and built down here, so they can all communicate with each other. And and it, it's they they work them pretty hard. I mean, this uh, if this wreck that happened up there um, on uh, Ash Canyon. There were probably six highway patrol cars there, and sheriff's department had probably six or eight themselves, plus border patrol, and they caught every friggin' one of them there in that car, every one of them, yep. and they're all going to get charged. Well, I'm I'm glad that we have the task force here because somebody needs to do something, and I'm sure that there's more than just our task force. There's probably task force in several other, you know, the other border states and stuff like that as well, like Texas and New Mexico that are doing probably the same thing because we're not getting help from anywhere else. And I'm sorry if we digressed off from the horse thing, but, I mean, it's not just involving people. It's like Steve said that they have these illegals coming through their ranch and they're cutting fences and everything else, and that endangers those rescue horses out there in their pastures oh, as well. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely. Yep. We had some the other day. They left the gate open. Yep. We had 12 of them out on Coronado Memorial Road. Yeah. <laughs> it yep. was crazy, believe me. Yeah. Horses were scared. They were running around on the asphalt. It was, it was just... Not, yep. not, not nice. Not nice at all. Nope. So, so anyway, well, now that we've digressed and talked about some of our legal problem here, but uh, that's okay. okay. And, and I am sorry if we offended anybody with any of that, but, I mean, it is a problem here, and you guys need well, to understand you know it. And you apologize for it? I, I'm not going to apologize for it. No. That, because I think people need to know. And I need you, you have to keep your podcast going and all that. I don't have to like people that are trespassing, that are against the law that are hurting other people that are damaging other people's stuff i mean i had the horse that got snake got bit by snake on last thursday so i go to get my horse trailer and hook up to it and i, I always walk around the trailer before i leave and i walk around the back and the tailgate's down on the trailer it's a ramp trailer mm-hmm. and i look inside and there's probably six um plastic bags they use for raincoats there's water bottles trash bottles um pedialyte bottles and junk left all over the inside of my trailer. They came up there and camped in my trailer overnight, probably because it was raining the night they came up, and then left it. Yep, yep. They do. They do that kind of stuff. All over. I mean, Tucson's got that, that uh, place where they cross there, and it's just like a garbage heap up in there. And I mean, yeah. I remember years ago. I've talked about this before with some people, with some of my friends. Years ago, here on uh, Highway 90, the rancher there on the I guess if you're heading up towards I-10, for those that you don't know, it'd be, I guess, northbound on Highway 90 there, that one rancher used to go out in his uh, uh, land and pick up all the junk and all the trash that the illegals used to leave, and he used to put it out on his fence. But I think I guess he got in trouble for doing that. <laughs> but, yeah, because um, he's littering on the, on the state right away. Yeah, I remember that. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, you just yeah. couldn't believe the amount of stuff that he picked up on his land and put out there. It was amazing to see. Well, it's actually a problem, too, because, like, plastic bags, freaking cows, if it smells like hay, the cows are going to eat it. Well, what's a plastic bag going to do yep. to the digestive system of a cow or yep. a plastic water bottle? Yep. They do the same thing with that. Yep. You know, it's just it, they don't understand what they're doing. So. Yep, exactly. So it is it is a big problem down here, and and I mean I do apologize if we offended anybody, but I I agree with Steve. It is a problem, and it needs to be addressed. And right now, it's not being addressed by people that it should be addressed yeah. by. 
So well, I have a question. I have a question for you. you can ask people, or I'll ask them. How many people have a house that has no fence around it? Right. Yep. And people, and those people that don't have fences around their house are the ones that are the ones pushing no border wall. Right? No. It's the people that live behind six and eight, ten foot tall walls around their house that are keeping us from having a border wall. I, I just, it's just wrong. Yeah. Yep. So. All wrong. wrong. Yeah, well, hopefully one day, uh, like I said, uh, I wholeheartedly support Sheriff Daniels and the task force, and I am so glad that they started that here because it's, it's yep, it's it's good to know that that's going on here and that they're trying to help, you know, try to keep people safe. And I know I saw, I heard some of the statistics that he was throwing out there about the numbers of illegals that have been coming through and that they have actually been busting. And that's the even worse part of it is. Think of the the numbers are staggering already on the ones that they've been catching. What about the ones they haven't? That's right. You know, so I mean, it's just staggering when you stop to think about that. So yes, anyway, yes, ma'am, it is very staggering. Yep. So. So. But well, thank you for your time, ma'am. I hope that entertain people. Um, they can get a hold of us through our website. Um, they can call us if they'd like. I can give you phone numbers if you want to give them phone numbers. Um, you can throw them out there if you want. I'm also going to put a link to you guys' uh, website on my Facebook page for Calling All Creatures. Okay. So if anybody's Very on good. that, they can link to it through my page as they, well. And if they don't know what to do about a horse situation, they know it's not right, call us. We'll, we'll figure out some way to help and figure out who the right people are to get a hold of, whether it's a veterinarian or it's the state livestock people or the, the people from the county. It just depends on what we need. We'll help. Yep. Yep, sounds good there. So, yeah, if you want to throw your phone number out there real quick. or It's 520-266-0236. That's Teresa's number. Uh, my number is 520-907-8765. If you don't catch me and I don't recognize your number, I usually don't answer the phone if I hear it. If I'm running equipment, I usually can't hear it. So leave a message and we will call you back. Maybe a day or so, but we'll call you back. Yep, and... Uh, if you look at their website, they also have an email and everything like that, and you can always email yep. them and stuff like Absolutely. that, too. So, um, yeah, there's many ways to get in touch with them. But, yeah, if you guys do see something going on that you think may be a problem, uh, yeah, definitely give uh, either Steve and Teresa out there or Orson Round a call or call the Sheriff's Department and just get somebody to come out and take a look at the situation and assess it uh, that kind of knows what they're and looking at so that they do know if there's a problem or you, not. If you do call the Sheriff's Department, ask for a follow-up afterwards. In other words... Yep. If you've got a horse that's bad, ask them to follow up with you and say, hey, yeah, this is the problem with the horse. horse wasn't being fed enough. So that the homeowner is going to feed the horse more. This is where we're going. And if it doesn't happen, if it happens again, then we'll have some more serious talk with them. So always keep involved in it. Don't just throw something out and leave. Yep, yep. Yeah, because I'll, I'll be honest, uh, years ago when you guys took the horses from me in summer that we had, I mean, the lady had been calling us about that neighbor for, I don't know, a couple months complaining about him but every time summer and i had gone out there the horses were fine they were in, and, and summer actually grew up with horses and worked with horses and stuff like that so she knew and she had gone to school college and stuff like that for horse stuff so she knew more what to look for than i did but we'd go out and we'd look and the horses would be fine and but this, this there was a little bit of a feud going on with them but anyway it finally came down to the lady had called us again um, a while after and she was just going on about these people again and we were kind of like at first you know 
ma'am, you know, we know you guys have something going on, you know, you, you keep calling, we keep going out, there's nothing wrong, and she's like, oh no, there's stuff, and then she ended up sending us some pictures that time, and so off the pictures, we did actually go out and take a look, and that time, she was actually right, those horses were not being fed and watered, and uh, they, they were seized, and Steve and Teresa took them in, and uh, got them into good shape again. Huh? We don't need any more horses, I can tell you, yep. but there is a need out there, and, and uh, the other thing is that people want to adopt a horse, or if they want to foster horses, and they have the uh, facility to do that, we're more than happy to talk to them about that, too. Yep, yep, so that's awesome, so, oh, that's great that you guys can use fosters, too, I didn't even think about that, I mean, we do it for dogs and cats, why not for horses? <laughs> we do it for horses, yep, but, that... you know, taking a little cat and putting it away for foster, you don't have to have five acres you know right. well yeah yeah exactly that's why i never really thought about having a horse foster <laughs> there you go so there you go something new so Good deal. all uh, right thank you for your time and your effort and putting us together and helping us out and uh we'll cross the bridges when we get to it take care of yourself yeah well i appreciate you coming on the show tonight and talking with us steve and i mean it was great talking with you guys i always like talking to you and Teresa. i've known you guys now for uh, quite a while and um, I'm hoping maybe I can get the grandkids and come over to the uh, rodeo uh, when it's take when it's uh, going on and stuff. And so maybe yep. I'll see you guys over there. Yep. It's a good rodeo in Sonoida. Yep. Best so. little rodeo in the dirt. Yep. Yep. I know. I see it advertised when it comes around every year, and I don't know. I don't think I've ever made it to it. So maybe I'll bring the grandkids over this year. It's something to do. You so should, you, you should try it. It's a pretty good little rodeo. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But so real quick, I just want to uh, let everybody know what the next upcoming podcasts are for uh, next month. Uh, for September 1st, I'm actually going to have uh, Sophie Gammond on with me. She is a photographer, and she's been using her photography to uh, do dog advocacy. So she, uh, you guys may know some of her photography. She did the pit bulls with the uh, flower uh, headdresses and stuff on. And uh, she, her latest endeavor actually involved uh, some of the dogs that survived the meat trade over in, uh, I think it was Korea, South Korea or North Korea, whichever one, I can't remember. But uh, anyway, uh, so she... Uh, um, does the photographs and stuff like that and so she's helping to advocate for the dogs and she's she actually went and saw the uh, meat trade and everything kind of the farms and stuff over there so she's going to be on to talk with us about her photography and about how she's been helping the dogs out and uh, um, doing that kind of stuff and then on September 15th I'm going to have uh, Sue London on with me and she is the animal communicator so Sue is going to come on and she's going to actually discuss um, like when you lose your pet and stuff like that and uh, she's actually had some experiences herself with near death and so she's going to kind of go into that and explain that kind of stuff to us a little bit and kind of explain uh, I guess a little bit to us about uh, when our pets die and what happens and also talk a little bit about um, how our human emotions and stuff like that can affect our pets a little bit more and how you can kind of help maybe not do that so much. So again, uh, that will be uh, Sue London coming on on uh, September 15th. And then the last one in September I'm going to have is on September 29th. And I'm going to have Sue Tellum from the American Tortoise Rescue on with me. And we're going to talk about tortoises and turtles and about their tortoise rescue. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I've been trying to get someone, amazingly enough, from a, a 
turtle rescue or tortoise rescue on for a little while now. And I found Sue, and she's more than happy to come on and talk about their rescue and what they do and about turtles and tortoises. So I know a lot of people do get pet tortoises and turtles, so I think that's going to be fun, and I hope you guys uh, will be able to tune in and listen to that one as well because I think uh, Sue will have a lot to tell us about the turtles and stuff. So we've got some pretty good ones coming up in September, so I hope you all will be able to tune in and listen to any of those ones that you like. I think they're going to be good to listen to. And uh, then when we get a little closer, I'll tell you about what we have lined up for October. So because we got some more good ones coming in October, and I'm working on the next ones for November. So anyway, um, it was a great night tonight. Uh, Steve had to go, so he's already gotten off. But I really would like to thank him one more time for being on tonight and talking about horsing around. It was great to talk with him. And again, I know we digressed a little bit there at the end of the show and talked about the, some of the things going on here in Arizona. Um, so I do apologize for anybody that may have been offended by that. But, uh, you know, people have feelings and that's the way it kind of goes down here. But anyway, so I want to wish you all a good night and I hope you all have a great weekend and enjoy. And don't forget, tune in in a couple weeks and listen to the podcast with Sophie Gammon and uh, about her photography. And with that, I will say good night. Bye, everybody. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.